0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode number four of Off the Track. I'm your host Tanner Holmes, and to my left, I have my best friend and co-host Bennett Gooch. Bennett, what have you been up to lately?
0: Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, we've just been, you know, hanging out, shooting videos on my channel and stuff. And uh, we finally got back to Red Bluff after how many days it was? Like forty-nine days. Forty-nine. Six weeks. 49, forty-nine days. Yeah. So we got back to Red Bluff Saturday.
1: Uh, congratulations. You got the win there. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. We finally parked uh, the factory QRC number 18T back in victory lane. We talked about it in the first episode of Off the Track. Man, how tough my indoor season has kind of been. It's I been know, up so and close. down and that's just how Red Bluff is. But finally, we were able to put together all 30 laps. Nothing went wrong and uh, got our first win of the season and first win of 2020.
0: Yeah, you were definitely hauling. Uh, You, you had that I think you have the fastest lap time in the main for sure. And uh, I know you may have tried the top once or twice, but this is kind of the first track of the year where everything was all on the bottom where throughout the year everything's kind of been all on the
1: top so we get right back to it after 49 days and we got a completely different racetrack that's what's so interesting to kind of touch on red bluff to start it like you said it's always different it's in the same building it's the same dirt but because of all the different shows that happen inside the Paulie Davis pavilion the tracks always different because they always have to reshape it and get it back to its original measurements but yeah the track this week right around the bottom uh it was kind of technical it was tough to hit and there was also a burn which we don't usually see, which yeah. actually, in my opinion, made the bottom easier to run because you could kind of get your left front up on it. But anyway, we drew the uh, two, so that was good to be back on the front row and, and we were able to get a good start and started running the top early. And it was pretty clean, but uh, it would just get dirty so fast. Yeah. And I could already see people kind of trying to show me a nose, run down low. And I figured, you know what, I just got to go down there. And that was by far the fastest line of the race. So once we were able to stay out in clean air, we were able to uh, just lead a bunch of laps, had so many yellow. Flags. They were they were given uh, uh giving us everything they had, but I think uh, you know in open air we were definitely the best car.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you were saying, a week before last the Saturday uh, there was like a bowling and gelding sale going on there, and it was packed, and the f- ground was solid hard. So a new track. Uh, I think everyone can agree. Qualifying track wasn't optimal this weekend. Uh, It was super rough, it looked like. Yeah,
1: it was... uh, I don't even really know how to describe it. It was almost chunky. Pretty much what happened, and if you saw the vlog, you definitely saw this. It was just so wet, and I think it was just... Overwatered in a way, which obviously what they were trying to do is get the surface wetter, or you know get the track. So then later in the night it wouldn't uh, get as slick to the point where it cleans off and takes rubber like we've seen for a good majority of the season. So it was all good intentions, but it just did not work out. It got real chunky. It started to come apart, and it was dang near impossible to clean off for all of open qualifying. So we're all just out there. It was funny. We were joking about it with a couple of the drivers. It felt like I had a snowplow, and I was like plowing a driveway or something, and I. was making my own lane wherever I went. It just... Everywhere you go, uh, you know, you try to clean it off and it wouldn't do anything. And then the car behind you, they could follow in your exact tracks and they're hitting the same thing. So it was a uh, pretty rough and the times were much slower. But even though we had a poor qualifying run, we bounced back. Even in the heat race, I struggled a little bit, fell back a spot. Yeah, but when it came time for the aiming event, our car was just the best.
0: Yeah, like you were saying, super awesome to get back to Red Bluff. I was there for the win and whatnot. So uh, you know, let's keep the momentum
1: rolling into this weekend for sure. Absolutely. This next race pays fifteen hundred dollars Twin. It's also a six-foot trophy. It's the perpetual trophy night uh, presented by, I believe, Red Bluff Yamaha and yep. Factory QRC Carts. So that's going to be cool going into that. Now I think it's time to talk about our guests that we're going to have on the show.
0: Yeah, before that, while we're still in the swing of the Outlaw Kart things, and I think this is a personal question for you, uh for all racing, I know this applies to me a little bit but do you have any weird, uh, cause I kind of noticed this when I'm filming for you and stuff yeah. and I'm just hanging behind you. Do you have any weird things you do in the car? Like not necessarily like, I don't
1: It's hard to describe. Like, you know what I mean?
0: Like, yeah. Like, like just weird like things, weird you, things you, do.
1: you do on the track. Yeah. This is funny. So people have asked me this in a Q and a biggest things I always do. And it's a terrible habit. My yeah. mom gets so mad at me and I've tried to do my best to cut back on it. But I like to click the steering wheel yeah. that's one of the main things so click the steering wheel and staging i see other drivers do that all the time and then one of the other things i used to do was always pull up on my gloves like yeah or like push them against the wheel to really get my hand as far into the glove as possible i guess so there's that. Uh, those are two things I do. And another one is it's weird. Right before we go green sometimes, usually hot laps qualifying, beginning of the night, I have like a weird head twitch in a way. Like you'll see me kind of rock my head back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously it stops as far as it can go because of the hybrid. But those are some interesting things that I do. Is there any unique habits that you have in the I car? I think uh, what I used to do in the Outlaw Cart uh, before the main event, and it was always the main event, like
0: I would, I would get strapped in on my trailer and I'm rolled over and I should be ready to go on the track and then I would loosen my belts and then redo them. And then like, if I waited too long, I'll loosen them and redo yeah. them. Like, so I was just always like, sometimes I was at the point where I'm rolling on the track to get fired and one of my belts are loose. And I'm like, I don't know, it's just weird. Like when I go out there, I just want everything to be tight as can be, but not uncomfortable. You know what I no, mean? No, that,
1: that totally makes sense. And, and like I said, I have some unique things that I do and I'm the same way if I'm sitting in staging too long, that's where those habits come out the most 100%. because nervousness or whatever. But usually for myself, I'm more nervous at the beginning of the night when I guess you could say I'm not like warmed up yeah. qualifying heat races. But by the time the aiming event rolls around and I'm strapped in ready to go, usually uh, I'm not doing any of those things. Gotcha. So that's uh, maybe something interesting you guys learned about Bennett and I comment down below. Uh, you know, do you have any unique habits that you do before? Yeah. We'd love to hear them. Now it's time to talk about our guest for today. The first guest that we're having on that after Carly, we had her for episode two, it was awesome yep. to talk about her uh, talk about her racing and everything she did on the podcast off the track. But today we are gonna have Rico Abreu uh, call into the episode and yep. the show. Uh, this was a phenomenal chance to get to talk to him.
0: Yeah, no, me and Tanner both had some uh, personal accounts with Rico. Uh, Rico's just absolutely, one of the biggest figures in sprint car racing on and off the track for sure and uh, i think everyone's going to really enjoy this uh shoot that we just had with him because we just talked uh, we just finished up the interview so uh
1: i think it's solid oh a very very good content i think a lot of you guys are going to enjoy this and like bennett touched on there we've both met rico before mm-hmm. we had some really cool experiences with them mine actually being uh, it was funny. I first found out about Rico actually on YouTube because I was watching some races from Cycland before I ever had went there, mm-hmm. and he had won the QRC Cup, which like at the time that was the biggest event, you know, super cool trophy. And I believe it was in like open, intermediate, or 250. But Rico wins this race. I believe it was actually a pretty good finish. He burns it down in the infield, and that was on Carl Wilson's YouTube channel, which like back then that was the guy who filmed everything in Outlaw Carts, like 2009, 2010, 2011. So that's how I first found out about him. Then he moved up to the sprint car ranks and actually yep. competed here at the Southern Oregon Speedway uh, during one of Oregon's 360 speed weeks, which is now what we compete on uh, mm-hmm. when they do it during the summertime. So I believe back then it was an ASCS region, ASCS Northwest. And he actually was uh, on the front straightaway because it was time to do the top eight redraw. And I ran down there to try to be one of the kids that got to pick a pill for him. Mm-hmm. And fortunate enough, I got lined up with Rico. I drew him the one and And then uh, he actually went out and won the feature from the pole and I got a victory lane photo with him and a couple of my buddies. So that's how I really met Rico that night. He gave us a bunch of free merchandise and all that. It was, it was incredible. And then we saw him a couple more times as he came back to Red Bluff uh, over and over to compete maybe once or twice a year. So I know you also have a pretty cool experience on how you first met Rico.
0: So I remember, uh, growing up in the cart divisions, uh, when we were learning the setups and whatnot, Karen Bloom, actually, so that's Keith Bloom's mom, and a lot of people know if you're in the karting world, Keith Bloom. The winningest driver in Red Bull Foul Island. And you're right behind him. One more win. We're one win behind him. But tying tying him from most wins,
1: right? Yeah, he has 40, and we got 39, so we're we're pretty close.
0: So anyways, uh, Karen Bloom, absolutely one of the best people to ever set up an outlaw kart um, her duo with Carl Pavlik in building a car and Keith driving. It was a phenomenal trio. And, uh, we actually would go over to her house on Friday nights and we would have things called scale parties. So what it is, is a bunch of people would go over and, uh, we would scale the race cars. Well, Rico at the time when he was with, I think it was Tanner Thorson on his team, um, Abreu Vineyards and stuff, they would come over and help scale and whatnot. And, uh, I think at one time we had a backyard track out at Karen's house and uh, we would run yard carts and they were just torn down no cages or nothing but uh no super cool to be able to race at Red Bluff when Rico was still racing at Red Bluff and now a carts and one of my bet like not it's not a good memory for sure but it's one of the craziest memories uh I was watching I think it was the open main and rico flipped over the fence in turn one and i think this might have been one of the first times anyone's ever flipped over a fence at red bluff outlaws incredible and people were like going nuts like did that really just happen and i think it was the start of a b main or a main or something like that and he just went right over the fence he was all good and everything but that's probably
1: one of the first viral videos from carts as well because you can still find it on youtube but yeah he just hopped a right we were going into one and it's actually crazy that we don't see this happen more with how yeah. the racing is so tight at Red Bluff. But Rico gassed up, and I believe the car in front of him was off the pace or something, and he just hopped the right rear and flew over the turn one fence. And yeah, yeah that was when he first got started. And, and after that, made the transition um, up through the Open Class, through Cycland, th- and then uh, into the sprint car world. Yeah. So we have an awesome conversation today, about 25 minutes with Rico Abreu. We talk about the recent Chili Bowl and how that went for him, his Rowdy Energy deal. We also talk about Rico and his brand and then also how that all that got started and some of his biggest accomplishments and then what is next for Rico Abreu. So hopefully you guys enjoy, like I said, about a 25 minute interview. Let's get into it. So joining us here over the phone, we have two-time Chili Bowl champion, winner of the Trophy Cup, and also has eight World of Outlaw victories to his name. Rico, you've had a pretty action-packed start to uh, your 2021 season. You ran the Chili Bowl and been uh, competed in the 2021 Wild Wing Shootout. How have you felt about your start to the year in racing?
2: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I uh, I feel like with, it's been pretty successful so far. Um you know, the Chili Bowl um, was a great opening race. I mean, for me, this year, uh, you know, it's usually, um, you know, the biggest race of the year. But this year, it's been a little bit different just with COVID and stuff. But um, other than that, I, having new sponsors and uh, performing well, I, I know the results don't really show. But, um, you know, but we had a great week at the Chili Bowl and I was able to, get a preliminary night win um and run in the top 5 majority of the feature and and actually um lost a tire at the end so um other than that I uh, I've had a really successful start of the year
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the first things we actually wanted to dive in with you Uh, for the 2021 Chili Bowl. How was it different this year compared to most? Obviously, the pandemic and whatnot, it made things a little different. Maybe a couple less people in the building. But how was the 2021 Chili Bowl from that side of things?
2: Yeah, um, it was, um, you know, obviously a a little bit slower this year, just with um, not as many people there. Um, You know, I didn't really, um, you know, bring as much mer- merchandise as I usually do to the Chili Bowl just with the limit of crowd. Um, but I felt like it was a great success. Um, they made it happen. Everyone was really good about wearing masks and they were really, really strict about it. So um, we were able to keep going and keep racing when I think there was a few times they had some close calls where the um, health department wanted to shut the Chili Bowl down and um, they really ramped up on the mask wearing and, and everyone participated in all that too. So. Um, it was, it was fine, it, honestly. And, and I think that really puts the chili bowl in a good spot for 2022 of getting full capacity. Um, and then, um, you know, it getting back to where it really needs to be
1: yeah that was super cool to see it uh you know get to happen this year i know it was really up in the air there for a little bit uh you touched on it there for a minute having some new sponsors this year and i know uh bennett and i were pretty excited when we saw the announcement that rowdy energy was going to be a part of your chili bowl we're both big kyle bush fans how did that come up you know i know rowdy energy a new energy drink that just recently got released to the market but how did you get hooked up with kyle bush and uh, his side of things
2: yeah, so, um, I did a partnership with Rowdy Energy and PitPay, which is a, is going to be a new pit pass app where you can purchase that. your pit pass, pit passes prior to, uh, the races, which will make it really convenient, knock the lines down at the races and, uh, you know, speed up, um, obviously the entry into the pit area. And it's not so much where you have to, uh, sh- you know, you can pay for your pit passes, um, you know, a week in advance when, Um, you know, when you have the money and, and not really have to worry about putting money aside to, um, wait to pay for your pit pass while you're, um, on the way to the track or something. So, um, so it's, it's a great company that's, that's going to be hitting the sprint car world or open wheel world really big. And then, um, you know, we did a partnership with PitPay and, uh, Rowdy Energy where they were both, um, you know, orange, uh, is the base for the pit pay company. So it allowed us to, uh, present Kyle Busch with the, with his orange citrus flavored to, uh, sponsor my car at the chili bowl. And and he was, uh, he really digged it. So, um, it really worked out and I felt like they got a great ROI, um, you know, partnering with me and Keith Coons uh, to, uh, for myself to race the chili bowl.
0: I, I think a uh, quick mention there I think I, Tanner could probably agree on this that was one of the nicest looking cars at the Chili Bowl this year as well because I think some people run in the years uh, the 2020 schemes prior than to their 2020 scheme and I think that was probably one of the best looking cars this year for sure
2: I really agree yeah I agree the same I mean I think um, the way that Kyle Bush and Frank and myself um, you know the thought that was put into the car for blackbeard to um, hit it and only took, took him a couple of tries and I think it worked out really well for them.
0: So when are you uh, going to get Kyle Bush in a midget here and give him some pointers?
2: <laughs> I I told him, uh, you know, Coons or, or somebody would, uh, you know, would be uh, willing to put him in a car. I think, you know, the more time he spends with Brexton racing at uh, it hopefully it, uh, it opens an opportunity for him to, uh, you know, test them a little bit and then uh, get ready for the Chili Bowl.
1: Mm-hmm. That's very awesome. Yeah, hopefully we see that. I know we saw Chase Elliott ran the Chili Bowl this year, and a few of the other asphalt guys are kind of probably itching to get their feet wet and get more dirt experience. Uh, the next thing that we want to talk about here during this interview, and I think this is super cool because Bennett and I come from a similar background that you do outlaw karts, Northern California. And really, where did your journey through the sport begin? Uh, I know you ran a lot of outlaw kart stuff, cycling and Red Bluff is a big part of that, but really, where did your journey through the sport of racing begin?
2: yeah so um great question i i had some neighbors that raced uh outlaw carts before i even kind of knew they even existed and i was able to uh spend some time over at their house um helping them prepare their carts to uh race at vallejo speedway back in like 2005 and 2006 and i got to attend some races with them and then i came really intrigued with um you know, sprint car racing and, and and outlaw racing, and and being from California and the world of you know being from St. Helena, Calistoga Speedway was right in our backyard, a couple miles down the road, and they have a speedway there that um, the world of outlaws compete at, and and Golden State, and he and uh, so I was able to get to some sprint car races and become a really really big fan, and just getting to enjoy sprint car racing as a fan before I was really introduced to it as a race car driver. And then, um, you know, the family was able to uh, help us structure a go-kart, um, when Robert Carroll owned QRC and, uh, Carl Pavlik built, uh, built me a cart that I was able to fit in comfortably and race and then, um, uh, race it competitively, you know, a few, a few months later. So, um, it's a, a really, really cool story that, um, you know, I kind of got going from no racing background in my family and then to, um, it's all I do today and it's all I think about and it's all I want to be successful in, with.
1: That's cool. very neat. Uh, one of the questions actually that popped up while you were talking about that there, you said that they built a cart for you. And it's funny, I actually, one of the carts, I believe that they built at QRC for you, we actually ended up purchasing when I got started in the 250s. And w- so when they built it for you, wasn't it true they had the gas tank in the front and then you had the pedals?
2: yeah. Right there? Yeah. Yep. That's super uh-huh. cool.
1: That's super cool. So yeah. running outlaw carts growing up, how beneficial do you think it was for you? Like for example, Cycland, you know, I, I know a bunch of kids, especially now it's uh it's the main thing to do, but running multiple classes per night, you know, at Cycland you can run like opens and open intermediate or two fifty and open intermediate. How valuable was it for you to get so many laps on the racetrack um in the carts in Northern California?
2: Yeah, I think that's everything. Um is just maximizing Um, your ability to race as much as you can in one weekend, just because it's hard to go to go kart races, you know, more than once or twice a weekend, like you can in the sprint car race a few times um, in a week. And then um, the biggest thing too is is that the ability that they allow you to race separate classes, where, um, you know, when I first got started, I was in, I started in two fifties for a season, and then the following season I raced two fifties. I raced open intermediates and I ran open, so I was running ninety laps a night for an A main. That's incredible. Um, plus three times a week, it would be three races a night. Um, you know, and then if we went to Lakeport on Sundays, uh, sometimes if we did really well at Cycleland. so um, it really, really sped my learning curve up, especially being at Cycleland where it was a uh, really, really technical racetrack where I taught you how to be really patient on the bottom and then be really aggressive on the top. And the more aggressive you were on the top, the faster you went, and the more patient you were on the bottom, the faster you went. So, um, And I feel like, too, the biggest part of my success was how competitive each class was. With the 250s, I have, you, know, you look back now, and it was Tanner Sorsen, Logan Seavey, Tyler Seavey, James Eden... Um, you know, there was so many, Jesse Caldwell, Morgan Sanhagen, there was so many competitive racers. Um, and it made it for a different winner every night, usually. Um, and then you would see, um, you know, I remember, um, John, I think it was Jonathan Rossi and James Eden. They were really, really good on the bottom. Um, so was Tanner and Logan. Um, so it made it really, really competitive. And Um, you know, I followed them through intermediates, open intermediates, and then into open. So, um, we were all kind of the class of 2011 and 2012. Uh, and it was, uh, it made, it, it really, really sped my learning curve up in racing.
0: Nice. Um, so quick mention talking about getting as much laps as you can. Uh, I'm, I'm a really big fan of backyard tracks and you actually built a super cool track in your backyard. Uh, also known as the Vineyard Bowl. Can you talk about that track and getting laps on that when you were starting?
2: Yeah. So, uh, well, I was um, lucky enough to my family and Saddle Offer Construction built a racetrack in our backyard. Um, and I was able to get out there and run some laps before I even kind of started racing competitively. And it allowed um, us to have friends over and they got to race, you know, bring their carts and we got to run laps and, Uh, it was, we were able to, um, to, to race not competitively, but we were all just just as competitive as we were at the races. So, um, you know, you would get to do some, some bumping and banging out there and it, it was a lot of fun and it it made it so, um, you know, I could learn just the speeds of the go-karts and, and, uh, more mechanical stuff than anything and testing and, um, it helped out a lot.
1: So you make all these laps, you know, early on in your career, you kind of go through the outlaw cart ranks and then transitioning into the wing sprint car. You live in a pretty good area Northern California. Uh, there's probably seven, eight, nine tracks you can run at from Friday, Saturdays to even Sundays. Uh, how was that transition from the outlaw cart to the sprint car? And then eventually, you know, getting to the point, taking your operation on the road and racing throughout the Midwest?
2: Yeah, it made it really, uh, really interesting just because of, um, you know, I get you get to do uh, you know Chico or Watsonville on Friday nights, and then you could go to um, you know Hamford or or an Arc show or an SCCP show on Saturdays. And um, I think it just really taught you how to um, race with patience racing in California, and then taught you really how to stand on the gas with the competitors you got to race with, and um, you know the hooked up and rough tracks out here. So um it it made me better in some tracks in the midwest and then some tracks in the midwest like Knoxville and Eldora and where you got really really slick and technical half miles we don't really see out here in California besides Calistoga but I feel like Calistoga kind of races like a short track um with the long straightaways and tight corners um so it it um it made me really really learn racing in the midwest and, and then you raced with um so many more competitors and new competitors that, um, and, and with the world of outlaws as all-stars that I feel our like series that are a little bit more, uh, competition based than, than would be your local Friday night races out in California here. So it allowed me to, uh, to gain all that experience. And then when I came home and raced, I felt like I was, um, I was so much better and more competitive when I got home just because of, the experience I gained racing in the Midwest from the different tracks and different speeds and, and different tanks and bodies racing with them.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that seems to go around in the racing world. Uh, the differences from racing on the West Coast to the Midwest and the different styles of tracks and competitors that you go up against. So now to kind of shift gears from talking about how you got started One of the coolest things I think about what you do, Rico, is your brand that you have, shoprico.com, the merchandise, and everything that you built there. At what point in your racing career did you realize that was kind of going to be a thing and something that could really support your racing um, through your name and your brand, Rico Abreu and Rico Abreu Racing?
2: Yeah, I, um, you know, the last probably five years or so, I've put in uh, a big effort into, um, you know, Understanding my race team on my own and, and, um, you know, management on my race team and, uh, and people management on my race team. And then, um, you know, building the shop Rico brand with my girlfriend Megan and I and, um, you know, and that kind of being our foundation around my race team. So, um, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Um, I have some help, um, at times, but it's usually just her and I. So not much overhead. And then, um, You know there's time where where my crew members will help me um when we're out on the road and need assistance with that so um it's been it's been a huge learning curve to try to manage both businesses um but i feel like uh the more i'm personable and and able to uh promote it on my own uh the better it does so it's been it's been really good
1: that's super neat. Yeah, I know the all the content and everything you guys put out, posting the Facebook videos or on Instagram, Twitter. That's uh, always super cool to see. I, fortunate enough, do some of the merchandise thing myself. And I, I kind of want to know because I, I don't get a chance to talk to too many people that do a lot of that. But, like, how exciting is it for you to see like orders coming in? For example, uh, us, we love Black Friday. This last Black Friday for us, you know, we do our whole sale, we do everything. How is that like for you guys, or just when you do uh, maybe a sale on a weekend or something, and to see all the support? That people are showing you from throughout the whole United States.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. It's amazing. It's an amazing process. Um, just to see the work that gets put in, and then um, you know the reward is um, seeing those orders that come in, and then and then on the other side of that is um, you know the connection you build with the fans doing it, and you can't nobody can take that away from us. So it's it's important that um, you know that my interaction or your interaction with the fan is. They'll remember that forever. So, you really, you really, I really focus on that first initial impression and and customer service as well on the other end and and making it so user friendly to jump on our website and purchase a shirt or or purchase a koozie or hat and and able to uh, meet that fan later on down the road and and them tell me or or me notice, you know, from their purchase order or that they purchased from my store and then put it all together is, is the most important part for me.
0: Yeah. So Rico, I do know, um, the mullet hats were a big hit for sure. Uh, do you know what your actual best selling piece of merchandise is? Because I do know you sell like backpacks and lunch boxes and cool. And that's kind of, uh, something that <laughs> yeah. everyone else sells as well.
2: Yeah. It's honestly my, um, my number one selling item is the mullet hat still. And it's that's been, cool. I think a year and a half or two years. Since I've done another mole hat, so um, I need to figure out um, either another design or, uh, or yeah, or I don't, I don't have any intentions on cutting my hair, so. I just keep it rolling for now.
0: No, that's awesome. That
1: definitely goes into the Riku Abreu style for sure. Absolutely. Definitely (laughs) a big part of your brand. Uh, So moving on from talking about your brand, I want to talk about some of your accomplishments because like we mentioned earlier, you've been all throughout the United States racing with the World of Outlaws, the All-Stars, ASCS, a bunch of different uh, sanctions. And the first one being your first Outlaw win. Can you talk a little bit about what that night was like? Where was it at? And what it was like to beat some of the best in the country?
2: Yeah, so it was um, it was at one of my favorite tracks in the world at Slary uh, or Thunderbolt, and I want to say I started up in the uh, first couple rows of the feature, and it was really hooked up and fast. And I raced uh, Terry McCarl for uh, you know for the win, and I got by, and then um, you know it, I led uh, probably the last ten or fifteen laps, and I was able to capture my first World of Outlaw win. Which was a really, really special moment for me and I, uh, I was, it was, uh, my whole family was there. So they were able to experience that with me. And I think that's the most important part is, is, uh, you know, cause, cause my family, um, you know, they're not as heavily involved in racing as I am. So it was cool for them to get to experience something, a special moment like that with me.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I guess now our, our next accomplishment to talk about, it goes right there with the Thunder Bowl. Uh, just recently, and unfortunately, this event did not get to happen uh, this last year, I believe, but it's going to be happening twice this year. You swept the Trophy Cup. In the Trophy Cup, I know, is one of those races. You had some success with prelim nights, and you were so, so close on the finale. But you were finally able to come out and at this most recent Trophy Cup, pretty much make a statement every single night and beat some of the best uh, in California after. Uh, at the Thunderbolt.
2: yeah my my car was unbelievably fast last year and um you know the track conditions were perfect uh my car was perfect and i was able to uh you know i think the first night i started 10th and one and the second night i started fifth and one and then um the final night i think i started 17th or 19th and, and uh luckily it was 50 laps um because i needed all 50 laps to win that race, but, um, I was able to capture the final night win too, and the championship, uh, which I wasn't really, um, worried about the championship that much. Um, I was just more worried about winning races. And, um, I was a point at my career where I need to, uh, I need to win and, and I need to make sure that when we win, we win dominant, dominantly.
1: Uh, the Thunder Bowl, is it something just about that place that just suits your driving style, really? I know it's up on the wheel, sometimes right on the fence, and uh, you can throw quite a few slide jobs. Does that just happen to be your style of racing?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, I think so. Um, it's, you know, just the way the cushion crowns against the wall, um, you know, the balance of my race car is uh, fits that track tremendously, and, and it's kind of a hammer-down place where, um that fits my suits my driving style and i'm able to um you know race down the straightaways and then just hammer it into the corner and kind of let it do what it wants to do and it's not necessarily a bottom feeding racetrack so everybody's got to kind of run the top to be fast there and then the guys that um you know don't run the top aggressive is where you're able to throw slide jobs on and um because it's kind of hard to pass on the bottom and so slide job is a little more. Um, you know, need it there and to bang off the cushion and try to get another big run down the straightaway.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. Well, I had a quick question for you. So going from a place like that, that's definitely up on the fence. Uh, this race, the Eldora dirt derby or the mud summer classic, whatever it was, uh, you ran and your best finish was third in that in the truck series at Eldora. And that's one of those races where, uh, you really have to be just up on the wall, tearing it down. What's the difference from going into a sprint car into a NASCAR truck series truck and uh, putting it up on the curb like that?
2: Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing I, I, I could describe, um, different about the trucks was how heavy and slow they were. Um, you ran the top at Eldora because of the banking and, um, you were able to just gain momentum up there. And then, um, the trucks they, I want to say the lap times were like 30 seconds around Eldora or I want 28 seconds or something crazy. And a sprint car is like 12 fives or something.
1: Wow. wow. So That's it's, fast.
2: uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we could do like three laps for one, two laps for one truck lap. It's pretty wild.
0: Yeah. Is um,
2: so it was, it was a lot of fun and I was able to, uh, you know, gain another level of experience there, um, racing a, a truck around uh, Eldora and and just the the mobility of them and it's gonna be fun to see them at Knoxville and and Bristol this year and just see how they handle a little different and how the track holds up for never um, running anything like that.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you. Do you do you have any picks maybe for the Bristol Dirt Cup race?
2: I'd say um, if Larson or Bell win, they'll they'll be kind of levels ahead of everybody else then you see guys like Matt Crafton and JJ Haley and um, them or Justin Haley and them kind of getting more and more modified experience. So you'll see them towards the front. Um, but, but it's just such a different style of racing where you're, you're kind of just, um, it's like street stock racing almost, you know, not to, to talk down on, on NASCAR's dirt stuff, but it's like you just run in there and lift and let it turn. And then you kind of apply throttle till you wheels aren't spinning and you get down to the next corner.
1: That, uh, that definitely makes sense. So after talking about some of your biggest accomplishments, I think one of the biggest things everyone wants to know what's next for Rico, obviously going into the 2021 season, you just ran the wild wing shootout for Paul Silva. Uh, what's your schedule kind of look like this year, even though I I know it might be kind of tough to put together a schedule because of the pandemic, things are kind of changing, whether we're allowed to have fans or whatnot, but, uh, what's this year look like, uh, for your racing?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to run um, a few more races on the West Coast in uh, in the Works Limited 57 with Paul Silva as the crew chief. And then I'm going to uh, get back into the 24 in the summertime and be able to uh, to get my summer routine kind of going in the Midwest, um, you know, and, and get going on the big outlaw shows and the all-star shows, speed weeks and, uh, you know, and get winning in the 24 car
1: that's neat another thing that also just came up uh through rico abu racing one of the things you guys announced is you guys are going to be uh behind the jack Hodden shield his last season racing he's going to compete in about 25 races i think you guys said in the 24 car what went into planning that i know jack has obviously ran trophy cup for you guys before he's been super successful there but what went into planning behind his final season of uh racing
2: yeah i just wanted to give jack an opportunity and um and I'm not going to be in my car here in the beginning of the year. And, uh, it allows me to open it up to where Jack can drive. Um, one of our, our primary cars we have, um, that he's kind of driven in the past. So, um, it was, he was able to, he told me that this was going to be his last year racing. So I wanted to give him, um, a strong opportunity to, to win another world of outlaw race before, um, you know, he hangs it up.
1: Cool. That's awesome. Uh, and then one other thing that also has been in the news with Rico Abreu Racing, after you guys announced the deal with Jack Hoten Shield, is also you are partnering with Jason Sides this year uh, for his Outlaw Tour racing. What goes into that as well? You know, uh, you know, being a part of another team that runs on the Outlaw Tour full time.
2: The biggest thing about helping Jason Sides was just his him to maintaining, um, you know his his sponsorship out on the World of Outlaw Tour and making sure that he has um everything he needs to, to keep maintaining this program at a high level like he does and and it just his support on staying out there on the road. Um, you know, it, it gets draining at times and I wanted to just to make sure we were there for him to uh to make it all happen.
1: Cool. That's incredible. I know Jason has uh, been doing it for a long time, so it's awesome to see you guys supporting him. Well, Rico, thank you so much for joining us here on the Off the Track podcast. We're going to kind of wrap it up. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, for coming on with us. uh, You know, hanging out for a 25 minute interview.
2: Cool. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely.
1: We'll talk soon. Have a good one.
2: Okay. Take care, everybody. See you.
1: So what a treat that was to get the opportunity to talk with Rico there a little bit. Just about Dirt Track Racing, Shop Rico. That's always something I'm uh, super interested to hear about because he posts about it a ton. A lot of cool Mm -hmm. content to keep his fans uh, up to date. We heard a little bit about how he got started in racing. And uh, one of the most interesting things I wanted to hear was his Rowdy Energy deal. And it was cool how he touched on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got a Cherry Limeade Rowdy Energy right here. And I think this is my favorite one. This this is a really good drink. For this
1: episode, we decided to actually get a case of the Rowdy Energy and try it. Uh, I got the cotton candy. This is pretty good. We also, I tried the orange uh, citrus. I enjoyed that one too. Yeah, I but, had the strawberry lemonade. I, I like that one as well. Yeah. So we enjoyed having a little Rowdy Energy on set today. Uh, what was your favorite part about talking there with Rico? Uh, I
0: think that's super unique to hear uh, the trucks are so slow at Eldora and watching them on TV. Uh, if you're a sprint car fan, definitely you see how slow they are. But I never thought, you know, maybe a sprint car could make 12 or two to three laps around Eldora before a truck could. So that's definitely something pretty, pretty interesting right there.
1: Yeah, that is insane, especially with how uh, easy they almost look to drive on TV. Like that's kind of how NASCAR is, you know, obviously it looks easy to drive from the stands and it's obviously not. Uh, But how those things go around there, like he mentioned, super slow, but you almost have to have a lot of throttle control and get used to driving them way different than you would a wing or a non wing or midget. Uh, you know, around a place like the biggie. So that was super cool. Talking about a few things that's next coming in the racing world. Like we said, we have the Red Bluff Outlaws this weekend, which pay $1,500 to win. That's yeah. going to get some, uh, that's going to get the racing and the excitement in that building up another level as if it's not already high enough.
0: I think that's definitely in the top three biggest races at Red Bluff. Uh, first, obviously you have the West Coast Nationals uh, this year running the Burris Bullring Showdown, which was yeah. a huge event. And I think, you know, we got the Red Bluff night so i know for me that's always been one of my dream trophies to win uh we haven't got done we've ran runner up how many times in the 250 i don't even know but uh that's a pretty cool trophy
1: yeah, that'll be exciting to try to chase that and uh, get our name on the six footer because that's how they how it works. You get to take the trophy home for one year, then you have to return it for the next year's winner, and then you get your name on a plaque there with the year that you won it, which is uh, always something super cool. Fortunate enough, I have my name on the box stock one twice, two years in a row, but never on anything else. And one thing that kind of hurts, I never got my name on the 250 one, but Carly's name's on there, so she kind of won up me in that area. Yeah, she
0: did. Uh, you know, she might be getting hers on the. OI yeah uh, I think that'll be the are they bringing it back for the OI
1: yeah so they have open intermediate perpetual trophy night and gotcha. uh, Carly's definitely going to be one of the favorites to win that along yeah. with a couple other kids in that class she added her second victory of the season this past weekend we were going to do a live stream with her unfortunately she was not feeling too yeah. good and didn't even have a voice uh after that but she was still able to park it in victory lane. yeah so
0: uh the Holmes family if you're on the my race pass right the fantasy league
1: solid picks, Tanner yeah. and Carly, for the upcoming race. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll give it our best shot. A couple other things going on in the racing world. The Great American Race is yep. happening this weekend. Uh, Bennett, I know you're doing a little sports betting, trying to get your picks in to see if you can maybe earn a little bit of money come Sunday for the Daytona 500. Uh, who are you putting your money on? You know, so the way the pool works is
0: obviously there's 40 or 43 spots and you just get drawn a random car. Uh, I'm not too worried. It's Daytona. Anyone can win because it's a plate race you're drafting. Uh, It's just about surviving. But if I had to pick, how can you go against Danny Hamlin? Two in a row. uh, He, you know, last year's strategy, just hanging out in the back. So I think I'm
1: going to have to go with either... Denny Hamlin and my backup is probably going to be Kurt Busch. Both of them are pretty phenomenal plate racers. You guys know who I'm going to go with. I'm not even going to lie. I have not watched as much NASCAR this last year as I usually do, but I'm definitely going to be tuned in Sunday to watch Kyle Busch get it done. Yeah. I think there's a good chance he needs to win a 500 to really, I think, add to his uh, you know his resume because he hasn't yet, right? I, I don't think he's won a 500. but He's been uh, close. He has been, and I think you know, I'm always going to back Rowdy Bush too. So if he wins, I'd be stoked. We'll be tuned in to watch Rowdy Bush and also watch Bennett's picks to see who's going to bring home the Daytona 500. All right, so now going into our fan question of the week, Derek underscore 17 asks us, so
0: what are your plans going into the future with racing in school? Because I know you just graduated, uh, I'm
1: graduated. What are your plans? uh, How are you going to mix the two? So education, a bunch of people have been asking me this, like Tanner, do you go to school still? Like what are your plans going forward with that? So the biggest thing for me is I wanted to graduate high school. That's something I feel everyone should strive for. Both of us now are graduated. I, fortunate enough, was able to graduate about six months early through a dual credit program. So pretty much that meant by my sophomore, junior year, I was actually taking high school classes or taking college classes Uh, in high school Mm -hmm. and therefore I was earning more credit for it so I was able to graduate a little bit early and I honestly probably could have graduated even earlier I just decided to not put as much on my plate at the time so I think that was super beneficial for me so I was still able to focus a lot on YouTube focus on everything we're doing here and uh, my main priority you know going and and turn in circles around a racetrack so I think the school thing it all just really depends on your situation and what your interests are but uh, I never really enjoyed the setting of all that in so my goal was, hey, how can I finish this as soon as possible? And then, you know, get on and, uh, you know, start doing what I really, really love. So now I'm at that point. I'm stoked. Uh, What's kind of your situation? You're obviously a little older than me, uh, but I know we both kind of started college at one point. I'm not doing it anymore. How about, you know, where you're at?
0: Yeah. So I was a big fan of high school. Like I'd never had the best grades, but I knew coming out of eighth grade what I really wanted my future to be. So, uh, I had a lot of fun in high school and then I was always pushed by like my parents and stuff to, you know, try college, give it a try. So I went to college. Uh, I think I did maybe one or two semesters and I decided to make the the boss man call here and say, you know what? College isn't for me. And the reason I did that, and it's not just because I dropped out and didn't want to do school. I actually had a plan. Uh, I'm a big stock trader. Like I've been I love learning about stocks. I've been learning about trading stocks since like eighth grade, uh, all personally, just by myself. And schooling doesn't necessarily require that. And I did take a business class, so I learned a little bit from there. But uh, you know, we're just chasing the dream. So if you don't have a plan, definitely go to school. But if you have a plan, uh, definitely follow your heart and your. Uh, make sure you just go for it, really. But uh, other than that, yeah, I'm not going to college anymore. I'm just trading stocks and filming you go around circles and hopefully I'll be going around them here soon too.
1: Heck yeah. I think that you what exactly what you said is perfect. You know, these are kind of the times of our life, you know, right outside of high school. You know, we don't have to have life figured out yet. And that's mm-hmm. kind of why we're trying things. And uh, if you don't have a plan, like he said, going to school is probably a really good thing uh, to maybe try a few different things and figure out the direction that you want to head. But you have so much time. Remember that, you know, between 17 and 22, those are kind of the times of your life to really, you know, figure things out and, and not be too stressed out about that. But yeah, I'm yep. actually... I think we're both very happy with our decision to, uh, you know, not continue with college education and, you know, now kind of be a little bit more out in the real world and and trying things. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode number four of Off the Track. We had our guest Rico Abrouan. That was such a treat. And we are planning on having many other guests call in, uh, possibly doing some Zoom and some in-studio interviews already lined up. Uh, Uh, Our next one is coming in just a couple episodes.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'll give everyone a hint here. I'm not going to release the name yet but uh, she is going to be a big contender in one of the races at Daytona this week. That's all I can
1: say. Yes, so we have uh, a pretty big-time asphalt racer that will be joining Mm -hmm. us here soon. That's all you guys get to know. You guys can guess in the comment sections. Anyway, though, we are going to be signing off for episode number four. Like I said, thank you for tuning in every Wednesday at 3.30 for this episode of Off the Track, and we will see you guys next week.